F sides. So that was Jason. That was Paul. And this is F sides. The Cyber Humanity Podcast. Where we focus on the human side of cybersecurity. So, compliance. Oh, wow. That's a great way to start a podcast. That's very, like, it's almost like Star Wars credits opening up over you, very ominous. <laughs> For me, it's more of a, ugh, ugh. I literally <laughs> get like this weird taste in my mouth. It's almost like licking a shag carpet. Well, yeah, and it's, it's unfortunately it's sometimes the only thing a security program is focused on, which, you know, I think we're going to have a, a great debate today on that. But yeah, I mean, compliance is good for some aspects, in my opinion. But when it's your only, that's when I get the shivers, too. It's like, oh, OK, you're, you're not really looking at the full picture. But yeah, but compliance is the frenemy. It's the friend that you is your enemy and your friend, and you can use it both ways. So I think we're going to dig into that a little bit in today's topic. Yeah, and it's 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 definitely frustrating when it's the only business driver that an organization talks about. Um, there are other ones that are just as important, um, you know, such as risk, for instance, which I think we're all risk professionals when it comes down to it. Well, this is just great, Paul. This is this is just fantastic. What? Oh, I mean, we agree. What kind of board? What kind of podcast are we rolling when we agree? Like, this, oh, this is this is terrible. I'm, well, yeah, it, it doesn't make for um, you know exciting viewing, you know. But so, how about we do this? We talk about some of our tips and experiences on um, getting solid compliance structure in place, so that you can move to the risk discussions. All right, I'm all over that. And boy, is our spontaneity, spontaneity just so transparent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this wasn't scripted at all or anything. Oh, this was, what a coincidence. We both agree on this and know that we're just <laughs> going to talk about some cool things to do with compliance. Yeah, let's talk like how compliance could work in your favor when it doesn't work in your favor um, and how to use it. In my opinion, it's one of the biggest levers you got in cybersecurity, especially for my favorite acronym that I throw around way too much, SMBs, which means if you're a small to medium-sized business, it's one of the best levers you can have to run an effective cybersecurity program. And at the end of the day, get what you want. Well, I'll agree with It's definitely a significant motivator for organizations that don't have a strong risk tolerance culture or background. It's definitely something you can use to get kickstart your program because Risk is a very obtuse concept sometimes if you're not versed in it. And compliance is very easy to understand. We have to comply with things every day like stoplights and, you know, stop signs and having driver's licenses and things. Yeah, uh, for one, I think the word obtuse is obtuse. <laughs> but I I agree. <laughs> and you well, throw out some very high level concept shit there. Let's just say that if, if you're trying to get cybersecurity done and, and you need to you need to explain why, which is one of the stories we always talk about tell storytelling and you know get buy-in from your group and sometimes you just want to cut through all that BS and get your job done. All you need to do is say the words compliance. Oh, this is a compliance requirement. You would you know believe how fast people move and how quick things get done. But <laughs> no it's not questions a long-term lever. Yeah, it's not a good long-term lever. I think you'll agree because it's like telling your kids because I said so. Yeah, that'll get you through a couple of years. Right. But eventually the kid's going to be like, I tell me why. I don't care. Ding, ding, ding. We have the winner analogy of the day. <laughs> that is a hey. perfect and fantastic analogy of the way to live the compliance because I told so. And you're not the parent. It's really the parents are sitting behind you. It's mm -hmm. either PCI or HIPAA or GDPR or whatever. You're the uncle. You're yeah, the uncle. you're the uncle. But you're hey, your parents right. told you to do this. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, no. So, you know, sometimes compliance is given a bad rap. 
right? Which I don't think it should be. It's just part of an overall effective program, in my opinion. So one thing that you and I talk about a lot and that I strongly believe in is that there's um, you, you can have both strategic and compliance components to your program. And so let me give an example, right? That, um, you know, when I go into organizations, I want to understand what their motivations are. Like, why do you want security? Especially if I'm the first time CS- CISO or they don't have a well-developed program. So I'll go ahead and say, okay, what, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, almost every time you're going to get, we, we want to comply with applicable regulatory, legal, and contractual requirements. Got it, right? Table stakes. Very, that's very easy. But then I say, okay, what, what beyond that do you want to accomplish? Right. And typically it's like, well, we don't want to have our customer information leaked or, you know, they'll give some other things. And I think having both of those things integrated is important. So I, I absolutely agree that compliance is something you must do as a security professional. Everybody asks that same question when you go into organizations. And I think you're missing one of the most popular answers, which is sometimes I'll just reply with, well, we want to be secure, but we don't want to spend any money doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I've, I've heard those conversations as well. And my question is, okay, that's great. Let's talk about what is that? What does secure mean to you? Does it mean not showing up in the newspaper? Does it mean that you're not going to get fined by regulators? Like what, help me understand what that means to you. Um, because it's our job as security people to help get to that, right? Like when I say to a contractor to build my house, I say, Hey, I, I want a cool looking house. Right. The contractor doesn't just go off. Well, most contractors don't just go off and start creating, you know, plans. They'll ask you some questions. And I think as security professionals, we need to kind of look at it and say, yep, got it. I understand, like, in principle, what you're looking for. Let's get to some details. Great. And let's walk through. I'm going to I'm going to dig deep into that and sort of come out with a first tip that I would have for people, which I think you're going to I think you and I talked about this earlier. And you said, oh, yeah, I agree. Again, the, the most boring episode we've ever had. because We both seem to agree on this. But one tactic you can take is, OK, so you walk down this path. You say, yep, we want to be compliant. Let's use let's choose credit card compliance, which is PCI. Yep, we want to be PCI compliant. And of course, we want to have a secure organization so we don't get breached and we're not in the paper. Great. All right. Well, PCI requires that we do this. Not getting breached, it might require you do this of the same thing. Let's say it's password length. And you say, you know what? PCI has pretty strict guidelines for password. They want, you know, changed every 90 days. But you're like, well, we don't want to get breached. And really, we don't need to change it that frequently to not get breached. So if you see the, the, the difference in the opinions is try to take the most conservative of those two and use that as your general as your general policy across the entire organization. And a lot of times I think people will get hung up on this idea of, well, that only applies to PCI and PCI environments. So they'll only apply that policy or that password policy, for example, to the PCI environment. And I'm saying, if you're a cybersecurity practitioner, just apply it to everything and then justify it by the following. (laughs) These are recommendations of ways to justify it. It's lower total cost of ownership for policy maintenance and management. So instead of saying, well, now I got to go figure out where we're in scope for PCI and scope changes based on the auditor's whim, and I have to make sure that this system has this password policy and this system has this, it's going to be a lot easier if we just apply this across the board. And then we never have to worry about not meeting PCI requirement. And it's also a great security practice because it's the most conservative. It's probably the best security we can get better than this other one. Yeah, let me go a little more in depth on that. Yeah, because, you know, that's something I've been doing at every organization I've gone to, right, is to understand what we're required to comply with and choose and, and map those out, pull out the requirements from each one, 
and then map them and say which ones are similar to each other, right? There's programs that'll do this for you, but I prefer to do it myself because they, the programs start to get complicated. Because right? you love pain. Yeah, well, it's it's not a fun activity, but and when I say we, it's the royal we in some cases. Um, but you know, you you identify each of the requirements, map them against each other, and then you identify. I've always called it the highest minimum, right? So, what is the highest minimum? If one requirement says you have to have eight character passwords, and a second one says seven character, choose eight character so that you comply across the board. Now, the scoping question you brought out, the reason I like to have that mapped out specifically, so not just, I don't like to just have the standards that make the statement, you will have a character password, but I like to have it mapped out is because there are, will be some instances as your security and risk program mature that you'll need to make exceptions, right? And, and that's by going back to the mapping and say, okay, what's applicable here? Is this applicable to regular or is this applicable to requirement A or B or C? Then you can start to say, okay, we have a little leeway to go to seven character in the short term and, and it helps you quantify risk. It does, it's more complicated. So I would say that's a way to your organization is more mature, but it, it builds you up for the future two to three years after you build it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I think we might have a little disagreement or maybe it's a different, different way to look at it. Um, I actually believe that. By adopting, what you call it, the minimum maximum, the maximum highest minimum, minimum. <laughs> highest minimum. minimum. I got to write that down. The highest minimum. I've heard this from you before. I'm playing with you, but the highest minimum. If you apply that across the board, you're not going to need as many exceptions. Agree. And yep. Yeah, okay. Got it. We're in the same. Yeah. No. And what I'm saying. So just to be clear, right? Yeah. Absolutely agreed. Like. Start with the least complexity you can, but there will be a point that you'll have one outlier system that it's like. Okay, this system can't get to eight character passwords. It can only get to seven. Then you can go and look at it and say, okay, from a risk from a risk perspective, there's a compliance risk associated with this because you know X, right? And then you can talk about the security risk and so forth. So it just it built it allows you to have more information to provide more um, more details around what the specific risks are. Yes, and uh, another tip for our listeners coming from me is. To use that that compliance word to your advantage, and sometimes when it comes to work or negotiations for what needs to get done. So you know, it, I'll get, I want to give a real life example about this. So I have a good friend of mine um, recently pushed for the removal of all end of life software at her organization. So they, this is normal vulnerability management 101. We shouldn't have software that's no longer supported or operating systems that are no longer supported because you can't get security updates. They're easily breached and hackable. And not to mention, there's now cybersecurity insurance requirements you're going to see going off through the charts about, hey, if you have end-of-life software, we're not even going to touch you for insurance. You won't even be able to get insurance. So there's all these business reasons why, and security reasons why this is a really bad idea. So she went through this big push to get end-of-life software removed, something that's been hanging around for a while. And she did some A-B testing with it so that for one group, she would go to and say, Tell, take the time to explain why it's important to the business. Hey, this is a really big security concern, cybersecurity insurance, there's some compliance requirements and actually some contractual agreements that we have that makes this a really bad thing. Oh, well, okay, we think we can get to it by this sprint on this date, couple months out or a few months out. For the other B group that she tested, she simply said, oh, this is a PCI requirement. And it was one sentence and there were no follow-up questions and it was done like by next sprint. <laughs> so... You know, sometimes it just, it's a shortcut. 
And yes, it's yep. not the best. It's best for the business to know why and to understand why. And you should always have that at your ready. But at times, if you just need to get your job done, pull the compliance card. It's like the yellow card. Yeah, and I mean, again, it depends on the maturity of the organization and what motivates them. Um, and you're right. A lot of organizations are motivated by the visible, especially like things like PCI, the highly visible um, regulatory and, um, and not, I know PCI isn't a regulatory requirement, but those external requirements that if you don't follow them, it can show up to your customers. So yeah, absolutely. I can see why that would be a motivator, but you can't use it all the time. It's like the old, like when we first started in security, fear, uncertainty, and doubt that worked for a couple of years. And then um, people started to catch on. It's like, oh wait, you're just chicken little. You're always screaming that there's a problem. And then they started to not pay attention to you as much. <laughs> yeah, the fear and certainty doubt still do work. Just uh, definitely not the initial go-to for things. Yeah. Your, your job uh, tenure seems, seems to be a lot longer when you're not doing the fear thing. Agreed, right? When you can have a risk discussion with somebody and like contextualize um, what the risk is. Like I think I, I share with you, right? It's part of the storytelling. Um, you know, is the if you yell fire, Right. Is the fire in the fireplace, which is where it belongs, or is it on the couch? Right. There's two different reactions and two ways to think about it. If you're always using fear and certainty and doubt, you're just yelling fire without telling the context. And then the executives will typically have to go and say, oh, wait, that's a fire in the fireplace. That's not as big of a deal as you made it. Yeah. So, yeah, great point. It's all about your levers, too. Yep. Uh, what big of a lever that you're going to use and how you're going to use that lever. Compliance, I think we're both agreeing, is a big lever, but you don't need to use it all the time. Yeah. And don't, it's easy to fall into that trap of, oh, I'm just, because you'll see that it works, right? And you'll be like, well, I know this works, so I'm going to use it every time. Eventually it will start to lose its value. You don't want to have it as your primary means of influencing because influence is very important. I think in some cases more so than title um, for a different podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important to make sure that you use it sparingly. That was a that was a great callback there. I'm really big on the word callback. Do you watch uh, Murders in the Build? Only Murders in the Building? Have you watched that? No. Show? No. no. Oh man, it's excellent. And they're on season two now, and they're talking about they call it a callback, I meaning it's a callback to a previous episode or something they rewrote earlier in the book. So, no, okay. Well, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to get self-referential on our on our podcast, so plus reinforce my my argument because I was the one who had influence is more important. So, great callback. Let's talk another aspect of compliance. Yeah, Paul, it's your first day on the job. You are now, it's your very first day as CISO at the Leaning Tower of Paul. I call you that, or the company that, because your bookcase is like this in your video background, and it looks like you're leaning and going to fall over. Yes, let me fix that. No, no hit, that's a backdrop. Um, your very first day and your company says, Paul, we need you to get to PCI, you need to get us through PCI compliance. Go pick an auditor. What do you look for in an auditor? I want an auditor that will, that, is not just a transactional auditor, meaning um, just somebody who's going to come in and look at the the audits as just a okay, this is a one time activity audit. We're not we don't care about the risk to your organization. We're just going to help you achieve compliance. I know that sounds kind of odd, but when you get it, when you pick an auditor that's just focused on getting you to achieve compliance, you, while you'll meet your short short term goal of getting to compliance. Eventually, um, you're, you're going to have trouble longer term putting in the things that are non-compliance related. So if you if you choose a partner auditor who cares about you meeting your compliance requirements, but also 
understanding that there are other parts of the program that you'll want to um, reinforce, they can partner with you on that. Got it. Yep, that's great. You know, and I, I want to throw in there too. If you're if you're evaluating or doing a bake off between your vendors, or your potential auditors, um, don't cut corners. Often, the business may want to go with the cheapest. Oh, look, here's this one's X dollars. This one's twenty percent less. Well, no brainer. Let's go with that one. And I, I'm going to give the age old the age old adage, which I believe holds true, is you often do get what you pay for. Yeah. And as a security practitioner, if you can get an auditor that partners with you and an auditor that doesn't take BS to just get you through the compliance and be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's okay. You kind of want an auditor that's going to do the right thing and yeah. take, in my opinion, a, a more conservative approach to interpretation of the requirements because it's going to be better off for you as CISO. It may be short-term pain and short-term headache of, oh, now you know he just pulled in my web server's in scope and I have this whole environment that I wasn't supposed to be, but he pulled all this stuff in. And you know what? Great, because now you're gonna even have more secure environment that further down the road in a year or two, you don't have to go back and worry about securing because you're doing it through your compliance work. Yeah, the way I think about it, like you want a secure, or you want a soccer coach that's tough on you from the beginning versus one who's super easy on you because as you grow and get better, the soccer coach who is super easy on you, you're not going to grow with that person. You're not going to improve. If you choose somebody who is going to, you know, look at you and, and look at you from a strategic standpoint and try to make you better and be tough on you, um, you can grow with them as you get better. And you have a longer runway of growth with that, that auditor. Because auditors are incredibly important in giving the CISO insight into their program, but also helping to reinforce what the CISO is seeing, or to say, hey, you know what, we don't agree with the CISO and you know, give a competing point of view. Yeah, completely agree. Oh, I'm, I can't, it's so no, hard for me to say I agree. I'm not used to this, Paul. What's going on with us? We're like in bizarro world. But to pick more controversial subjects or something. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, it, as, as a side note, we don't often recommend uh, things on our show, but I do want to want to throw out, uh, Paul brought up coaching, and there's this, this really great podcast recently that came out called Against the Rules with Michael Lewis. If you get a chance, the season three is around coaching. It's some really good, good quality material in their podcast uh, that speaks to this whole coaching philosophy thing that Paul just brought up about what kind of coaching while working for you. So I, I highly recommend you check it out. Michael Lewis is the author of Moneyball, um, The Big Short, and a bunch of movies and TV shows and stuff he's done. So it's really good stuff. Yeah, that's, usually we walk away like with some, you know, hand waving and, you know, at the end of the podcast, but I, you know, I, this is just, I, I think when you, when you've done this long enough, you understand, you know, that again, if you talk to other CISOs who are just starting out in their journey or other security professionals, you may hear that compliance is the most important thing. And I think if you talk to people who've been around a bit, it's, it's not the least important thing, um, definitely, but it's it's not the only area to focus on, especially if you want to be a CISO or a security professional who is in the field and in your role for a longer period of time. Yeah, I'm going to add to that. It, it could be it's often the business's priority. Often CISOs are hired to be, hey, our number one priority is get us compliant. And then, you know, go worry about the rest of your work and securing the rest of us. So often it's the business that drives that importance for the CISO. But, you know, my, my, my take is use or my tip is to use that as a lever to improve security overall at the organization and use that to your advantage. Yeah. As long as you're not ever in a conversation where 
compliance equals security, right? Because there's no, a lot of those do not equal. Yeah, there, attention audience, of- those are not the same. <laughs> yes, and you'll hear. I've I've actually heard where people say, "Well, we're compliant, so we we're secure." And saying, "Well, no, there's a lot of compliant organizations who have had security events." Don't don't rest on compliance. Compliance is. And I use another analogy when I talk about this. Compliance doesn't mean that you're good at security. It's almost like a driver's license. A compliance is similar to that. Just because you have a driver's license doesn't mean you're a good driver. It just means you know the rules of the road and you meet the minimum requirements. Target the, was compliant in 2014. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll see, you'll hear that organization after organization. But if you want to go beyond the bare minimum, you, you know, you take um, extra extra training on how to drive, right? You learn how to drive in snowy conditions. You, you know, you take those extra steps. So compliance is, look at compliance as the bare minimum to be a, to be a functioning organization, but know that if you're in security, you need to go beyond that. But you definitely need to hit that bare minimum. Agreed. Awesome. Well, Paul, this was the most boring podcast I think we've ever had. <laughs> No disagreement. Maybe one thing. No, there was nothing. This is great. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on this one, Paul and audience. Thanks a lot. Take it easy and stay cyber safe. Yep. Thank you. Hello, hello. It's the elephant in-